Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. This episode features Zach Holman, one of the first engineering hires at GitHub and the founder of Speaking.io. Hey, Zach, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we always like to learn a little bit more about uh, the guests uh, right up front. So where are you from? Uh, what did you study? And how did your passion in entrepreneurship uh, really develop? Uh, I grew up in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, so nice. every single place I've moved to has been a little bit warmer than the last, which I'm pretty happy about. <laughs> um, from Fargo, I went to uh, Pittsburgh. I went to school um, for information systems at Carnegie Mellon. Did that for four years. Got my minor in history, which I have not used whatsoever, um, and then moved out to San Francisco. I uh, worked at a smaller job-related uh, startup for about two years, and then uh, I've been at GitHub for almost five years now. You were one of the first engineering hires at GitHub in 2010, specifically number nine, working on what would become GitHub for Enterprise. Would you be able to walk us through what GitHub is? Why did you decide to work there? So GitHub is basically where the world shares code, um, either for open source. I mean, we are pretty well known for kind of hosting most of open source at this point, uh, but also small businesses, big businesses. Uh, lots of people use GitHub to basically communicate on code. Um, I first joined here, uh, I mean, I've been following what a lot of the founders have been doing for a year or two, um, just about, uh, you know, they've been writing really good technical posts, um, and you know, it's really interesting to me. Um, and then ages back Chris tweeted does anybody know Ruby and I'm like yeah I know Ruby and it's like does anybody know Java and I'm like yeah I know a little bit of Java whatever I can do it (laughs) yeah so I you know sent him in a resume and then uh I got hired pretty quickly so I've kind of been here ever since I guess that's awesome So, so what's a regular day like at GitHub regular day is really hard especially for me um it's really uh I don't know really strange I guess um, everyone's days, I mean, there's like 230 of us now, so a lot of people have very different experiences. Um, but for me, you know, I tend, if I'm in San Francisco, um, a lot of what I do is kind of, I like to travel, uh, slash I give a lot of talks, a lot of conferences. So, you know, half the time I feel like I'm on a plane coding versus like actually in San Francisco. But if I'm in San Francisco, I usually get to the office at like 10 or 11, um, and then stay until five or six, maybe do a couple hours of work at home again, or, you know, it's very ad hoc. Um, and mm-hmm. We're kind of big on not really necessarily caring about your hours. We more care about your output. So, you know, a number of times, like, you know, you'll get up in the morning and, you know, I'll, I'll just be like, oh, I'm not going to get anything done. Um, that was kind of the end of my last week because I was just, I had a cold and I was like, ah, I'm not going to do anything. So I just stayed at home and played a, uh, Xbox for most of the day and you know kind of worked on the weekend instead and you know it's it's more surrounding when are you most productive versus 
when is the company expect you to be most productive or something like that. So my day varies dramatically based on how my life is working at that current point in time. Yeah, for sure. What are some of the projects that, uh, that you're working on? Um, I mean, I've worked, at, I've worked on a bunch of stuff over time. Um, I started on what would be GitHub Enterprise, which are, is our installable GitHub. It's basically all of github.com, but on your own server. I did that for about a year or two, and then I worked on um, GitHub Jobs for a little bit. Um, did a bunch of talks uh, about GitHub for a long time, and then uh, this year my main focus was GitHub Issues. Um, so I, you know, it was our first revision to our issue tracker for the first time in like three or four years or something. So that took up a lot of my time, and now I'm probably going to go up to uh, you know whatever's next, the next project. So. That's a great point. Uh, you actually have been doing a lot more public speaking recently, um, and some some interesting things to point out on the subject is that you've actually mentioned uh, on your blog that GitHub encourages its employees to give talks. Um, I think you noted that you know somewhere between a third and about half of all of GitHub's 240 employees gave a talk in 2013. Uh, why do you think that they encourage that? I mean, it's a number of different reasons. Um, one, I mean, I I kind of harp on this because. The company I was at before GitHub, I really wanted to go to RailsConf, like RailsConf 08 or 09 or whatever it was. And the company I was at was just like, eh, we're not going to you know, support that or whatever. So I ended up paying my own ticket. And I remember when I first got hired by uh, GitHub, um, that was my first question because RailsConf was coming up in like two months' time. And I was like, you know, I kind of I kind of really want to go. I think this would be kind of interesting. And they were like, yeah, go. Like That would be great for us. And great for you. And it was. It was totally great. So I think it's kind of a, um, the company kind of identifies that, A, you can learn a lot at a conference. Um, especially, you know, there's some really good conferences out there. Um, I really get a kick out of, like, the conferences in technologies that I don't tend to normally work in. Uh, you know, kind of seeing how somebody else does things is really kind of interesting for your own work. Um, so that's, that's one thing that's great. The other thing is, um, specifically about encouraging talks, uh, can, we have a policy where if your talk gets accepted or you're invited to speak at a conference, uh, GitHub will pay, uh, for you to go to that conference. Um, nice. and it's, it's like a nice perk because A, you know, you get to get out for a little bit, see something new, uh, which is kind of a nice kind of work-life balance thing. Um, but B, you, you're sort of forced to become an expert on whatever you're speaking on, at least that small sliver of life. Uh, I don't know if you guys have given talks before, but like you go from, you know, I'm pretty confident about this to crap, I have to be up on stage in the next like month or two. I really need to know this front and back. Um, so you end up with this really weird focus for a while and you become really, really uh, well versed in whatever topic area um, you're, you're about to present on. Um, so that's kind of a nice work related thing as well. And then you know, obviously, you know, we're developer tools, so going out to developer conferences is good business for us. Um, but even beyond that, like, I've found that it's really interesting just the social networking that's available. I mean, it's kind of a corny thing to say, but um, it's amazing the number of connections that, like, you know, GitHub, the company, has made at conferences. Um, eventually, you know, we might end up hiring those people, or then we have, like, connections in, you know, a particular company that, you know, maybe we're using their service and we run into a wall and, you know, oh, this is a bug. And now we know the right people to talk to to figure out, okay, how can we, you know, use your service and stuff. So 
Um, those type of kind of networking things are really, really, um, you know, they're not something we set out to, to you know, you, you should go make four friends at a conference. Like we didn't go to, to do that, um, but it's been a nice little thing. And then yeah. kind of the last little cap on all of this stuff is, you know, it's our community. Um, you know, if we can help out by either we sponsor a lot of stuff and then, you know, just getting employees out to, to talk to people and learn from people and, you know, as much as, you know, grueling as our industry can be, it's really nice to just kind of give up back and, you know, participate in the community a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about, about giving back and becoming an expert in the, uh, in, in the talks that you're giving, I noticed you put up a really awesome uh, resource site called speaking.io. Um, Why did you decide to put that together? And, and what are some of the most common challenges um, you've experienced in, in terms of putting together talks or that you, you used to make, you know, before giving all these talks? So I did speaking.io because uh, like three years ago I did a, a talk or um, a post on my blog about uh, uh, it's basically I'm totally blanking on the name it's my own post I the, should know this. the talk it's like on slide talks. design no it's a slide oh. design for developers is yeah, what yeah. it was um, and it's not necessarily for developers it's it's for people who are not necessarily designers because um, I've always been to the conferences where there's the designer who can just you know make beautiful things flow from their pages and. That's not all of us. Um, so I did this post on like the very simple things that you can do, like you know, make really gigantic text so I can read from the back of the, the room. You know, mind your contrast, um, big clean text. I mean, the majority of all my advice that I've ever given is just like put reduce the amount of words on your slide and then increase your text size a billion percent, and you'll probably be like better than ninety five percent of the other talks on stage. Yeah. Um, so I did that uh, blog post uh, a couple years back, and that's been one of the most popular posts I've ever written. I mean, it was on like Lifehacker. I mean, it was all over the place. Um, so that kind of resonated with people, and I really enjoy talking about this sort of stuff um, just because I've done a lot of talks, and it becomes, you know, I've done enough of these to where I kind of know the, the trouble spots. So it's been really interesting to put out speaking.io and you know a lot of people have kind of gotten back to me and said you know this is my talk that I designed based on the stuff that you've done so that's been really interesting to see as well mostly the whole thing is just selfish I want to not sit through crappy talks with text <laughs> that I can't read in the back of the the audience you know like it's it's kind of nice to be able to be like all right maybe the next time I go to the conference people will start you know because it doesn't take much you know you just you know, reduce the amount of words on the slide, speak yeah. a little bit clearer, slower, break things out into main ideas. Like, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, most things, when you come down to it, is if you spend a little bit more upfront preparation on stuff, you know, you're half the way there. So, Yeah, you're just being proactive on improving it for, for everyone. I love it. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the most, uh, I guess, recent um, talks you gave was a closing keynote at the Future of Web Apps in London just a few weeks ago. Um, called Move Fast and Break Nothing. Obviously, a play on word, um, you know, from from Zuckerberg's famous quote, <laughs> "Move fast and break things." Um, and I, I thought it was a really, really interesting, um, you know, deck presentation that you'd put together for it. Um, you specifically focused on balancing code, process, and communication to shift to, to ship perfect products. Um, why those three areas, and and what advice do you have uh, for teams who are who are trying to ship perfect products? <laughs> First of all, you can't have a perfect product. That's <laughs> you can have perfect based on like, what you know about your system, which is yeah. you know never never hundred percent, unfortunately. Um, that talk was mostly just you know a lot of the ideas I get from my talks is just 
from looking around at what happened, what's happening on a larger organizational level at GitHub. And, you know, we're growing to be a relatively large company. I mean, I still view a large company as anything past 20 people, so everything is large to me. But, you know, GitHub's getting larger, and as part of our growth, you know, like any company, we start reaching points where things start breaking or things get a little bit more stressful. And, you know, GitHub is, we give a lot of freedom to developers in that if you see something that's breaking, for example, um, you can kind of go out and fix that yourself. And I've been looking around, there's been a lot of really interesting approaches that people have taken, not because, like, there was some, you know, directive down from up top saying, all right, we should figure out ways to move fast and break nothing. Like, that's a little bit corny, but um, people just made these really small tweaks and, you know, figured out ways to, you know, retain our same process, which is, you know, iterate quickly, uh, kind of continuous delivery style of uh, deployment. Um, so we can keep that same process, but still move in a way that is accurate and won't break things. Um, and you know, I, there's a lot of these examples that I included in the talk that I just found were really interesting. So I kind of conveyed that in the talk itself. Um, so it's a lot of, you know, it's it's once you get past about two people in a company, there's no magic bullets, unfortunately. But um, there's a lot of things I detailed that were more about how do you you know, how do you use metrics to, to prove that the code change you're going to make is, you know, not going to break anything, is, is the right way forward? Um, how do you know that the code that you're about to introduce is performant and fast and not going to slow down in edge cases and stuff? Um, and there's a lot of really interesting things happening in our industry along those lines that I don't think we were quite to that point before. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of relay that a little bit more. You also do a ton of blogging on your site. Some of the interesting subjects that caught our eye that we'd like to elaborate on include how to go from hack to popular projects with open source code. Can you share your insights and experience on doing this? Um, I mean, that's that post is a lot about, you know, I have an open source project. How do I make it popular? Um, which, again, there's no magic bullet, unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think there's interesting things you can do. Um, I actually had a talk about this similar uh, open source misfeasance, um, kind of around the same ideas and it touched upon the same points, like, you know, writing docs uh, well. You know, open source projects typically don't have really great documentation, except for the really, really popular projects. I mean, there may be a correlation there. Maybe the popular projects, because they put a lot of time in the documentation, ended up being, uh, you know, talked about and used a lot more. Um, the other thing I really liked is, I've had this happen in a couple of different open source projects and side projects I've worked on where, um, you know, I have the idea of where I want to go, but everyone's busy, so I can't do everything right that moment. Um, and initially, it was something that, um, you know, I'd open an issue on my own uh, open source project saying, okay, this is what I want to do next, you know, this next one I want to do eventually, and blah, blah, blah. And the idea of just detailing out, you know, the steps. I mean, that's the thing that a lot of open source projects don't have is a clear, you know, trajectory. Like a roadmap. Yeah. yeah, exactly, a roadmap, yeah. Um, and if you don't have that, you know, that's why I think a lot of the, the fright in some cases with people with open source, you're like, oh, I want to open source my code, um, in some part is I think I don't want to get the contributions which are well-meaning but they're totally a different 
direction that I want to take it. You know, like my small open source library doesn't need a media center built into it or so. like, you know, that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, filing issues proactively, kind of like giving a good clear roadmap. Um, it's amazing how many people will just jump in. Uh, you know, they'll have a clear Saturday and they're like, I want to learn something new. What should I? Oh, cool. If there's some issues. I can just close these out and push some code up. Um, so a lot of stuff like that, just being more clear and communicative about your goals and trajectory and what's breaking and what you're not happy with. And I've just continually been surprised on how many people can jump in and help you out with that. Um, and you can get some really great contributions. And you know, the, it's, it's one of those things where I will say, you know, this, this file doesn't have this module in it or something like that. And then somebody will come in and do it way better than I even imagined. Um, you know, that's the hope of open source, that somebody comes in and improves upon it better than, you know, your, your wildest fantasies and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing how often that happens. And, you know, people are great. That's why open source is so much fun. So, so there's another blog post called Don't Give Your User Shit Work. So what is this and how can you create a product that avoids doing this? So that was a post I wrote a while ago. On, um, it was back when uh, Google um, Google Plus came out, and they had like the circles of friends and stuff. And you know, I have to classify all my friends about like, okay, this is you know, you are in this group of circles, and then you're in this group of circles, and you know, I can't overlap, or maybe there is some overlap, and it was very confusing. Um, I gave the same example for Twitter lists, like you know, grouping out your Twitter people you follow on Twitter into different lists of things that you want to read. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where I think it's something that is good nature, uh, you know, good intentions, but you know, it's not, you're not actually doing anything. Uh, the example we tend to use internally at GitHub is issue tracking. Um, I had an old boss, a different company, uh, who would do this all the time where we'd have you know, the list of all the bugs that we we're currently working on. And he'd go off and spend three or four hours like prioritizing them and like categorizing them and like, you know, <laughs> saying, okay, you do this and you do this and you do this. And more often than not, you know, these would be bugs that saying like, all right, the server is going to crash next week. The disk is going to fill up or something like that. And it's like, I don't necessarily need prioritization for that. Like I tend to know that's going to get, you know, that's really, really important right now. Um, so the whole idea of like shit work is like, well, what, what systems are you building in your product that, you know, people like to group upon these things and like spend a lot of time on it, but you're not actually helping them. You're just making them feel like they're doing stuff, but it's not actually work. It's shit work. Um, so can you build systems that um, actually, you know, improve lives and stuff? Um, the the example I gave was like Facebook. Like if I really cared about filtering out, you know, what status I'm pushing to, instead of like setting up all my circles specifically, Facebook has all this information already. They know where I went to school. They know where I live. And in the drop down for a status box, I can say, you know, send this status only to people I went to school with, uh, and it will do that. And like that's a much easier way of doing that than classifying all of my users. Um, so you know, every single product. As a different form of what shit work means, um, but it's really you got to sit down and identify. I think it just comes down to: is what I'm building, is what I'm giving to the user, a good use of their time? And it could be something that the user will 
you know, adamantly say, no, 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 I really, really need this. But, you know, it should be up to you to just realize, I think that's just what they think they need. And it's not actually something that is improving their life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, th I think those last two points are really important in terms of, of building building products, you know, whether it's open source code that where you, you know, pr where you're laying out a roadmap to have people get involved or you're really thinking about how are your users going to get the most value out of a product. Um, I, I think those are both really, really important points mm -hmm. for, for people to consider. Definitely. Do you have a funny or unbelievable story about yourself or startup life that very few people know? I don't know. I was thinking about this question earlier. I'm not actually sure. It's uh... a lot of people get stuck on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like a crazy story or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. When I got hired, we got thrown out of a bar, but that's you know part of the course sometimes, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing really crazy comes to mind, I guess. I'm a pretty boring. I mean, I, I'm from Fargo, which is nothing happens in Fargo. I'm pretty boring. Nothing happens there. Right. No, not really. I mean, don't believe the movie and TV show. Like, not a lot of murders that happen. So I, I kind of wanted to stay away from that, but I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> I figured you probably get asked that all the time. It's one of those things, you know, you've heard about it since forever, so I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I used to have a shirt that said, uh, if you thought the movie Fargo was deep, check out the snow. Which yeah. I thought was pretty hilarious. The TV show that came out last year, which nobody knows about, clearly the best TV show since Breaking Bad. It is phenomenal. So I encourage everyone to check out Fargo, the TV show. That's what I keep hearing, but I uh, haven't had a chance to oh, check well. it out yet. Um, so, so besides giving talks and, and working at GitHub, are there any uh, you know devices, apps, or or tools that you're super obsessed with right now? Like what's on your what's on your mind? What are you using the most? Um. You know, it's kind of funny. The uh, I was talking to my buddy about this. I've simplified my life quite a bit. Like I buy fewer and fewer things, I think. Um, with the exception of, uh, I got a GoPro this summer. Nice. Um, and I was telling you know, my buddy, we kind of geek out about this stuff from time to time. And I was like, the GoPro is the first thing I bought in like eight years that's a gadget. Like it used to be in like the early 2000s, you'd buy little things like I can't even give a good example of like you know little peripherals to your computer or you know handheld things because you didn't have a phone that did all of it for you and like you'd have gadgets and you'd unbox the gadget and you'd be like oh wow this is going to change my life and stuff and the GoPro is the first thing I ran into that is very much along those lines and it's really fun also you know I did cool things this summer I went like whitewater rafting I went to my lake uh, and like went jet skiing and stuff and then I've been very boring since so it's you know the GoPro makes you realize you lead a very boring life like I can't GoPro me typing code because it would be really boring um, but like I'm you know ski season's coming out hopefully snow happens again and I can you know bring my GoPro out and do some cool stuff but uh, that's you know that they're a really interesting company mostly I'm very cynical about pretty much everything these days but they have a really cool product Really good branding. Um, all their stuff is really interesting. So I've been digging GoPro stuff. That's my my newest gadget. And like the only, I mean, I'm getting more and more into photography over the last like five or six years. Um, and I just got my Fujifilm uh, X100S like uh, I don't know eight or ten months ago or something. And I've been using that ever since. Like that is such a great camera to shoot stuff on. So between my GoPro and my my X100S, I've been pretty happy on my photo and video uh, side of things. 
Cool, that's awesome. Yeah, I really love GoPro too. Um, I've I've always borrowed them off off of friends, but I like the company, and uh, I have also been thinking about getting one for myself recently. Uh, but but like you said, it it does kind of make it uh, you know once you use it for those special activities, and then it just sits there. You you, you do kind of realize that you live a, a a monotonous type of life. Yeah, to an extent, like it's I found things like I I. I did the uh, ALS ice, ice bucket challenge. I got challenged, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this is kind of stupid. I'll just donate or whatever." I ended up I donated and did the thing because I and I came up with a kind of clever, stupid, hilarious idea or whatever. But during it, like, I had my GoPro and then like two other cameras, and the thing I kind of got into was uh, like Final Cut. I don't know if you've ever like dabbled in video editing and stuff. Like yeah, my just big, a little bit. My big philosophy, I think you have to have at least one thing in your life that you're an absolute moron on. And I've never <laughs> done like video editing really and like it's it's really interesting. I don't know, that's been the the kind of my new realization this year. Like I've done photography enough to where I you know, have some semblance of what a good photo looks like and stuff. And now I'm like adding the next dimension of time to it and it's really been interesting and you know, it's as you get older doing like programming stuff, I feel less and less, you know, I don't have a lot of things where I am complete moron, you know, at least specifically in regards to technology on. Uh, and video editing is just awesome because it's just the, the, the flip side of that is that every three minutes on it, you've learned like 20 new things and it's amazing and stuff. So all of that's been a really interesting uh, realization and kind of a new mini hobby and stuff. So I'm taking a lot of like videos of clouds or some bullshit and, you know, stitching them together into some stupid thing that I will show nobody just because it's kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. Just to learn. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so where do you think uh, you'll be in the next 10 years? What are you going to be working on and doing? Man, I don't know. I, I, you know, at the very base level, I don't even know what I'm going to work on tomorrow. Like I'm kind of, you know, figure out what the issue is and whatever I'm building and coding tomorrow and stuff. I'm kind of the same way long term too. I, I never got into the whole like five year plan thing. Like my college uh, roommate was like, "Yeah, you know, I've got I'm going to do this in three years and then this in five years and this in seven And I was like, "I, I don't know what I'm gonna do in tomorrow." So <laughs> probably still working in tech. I mean, as as weird as tech is, sometimes I love it to death. So you know, I'll be doing something and. We'll see how that ends up. Cool. Well, I really appreciate your time uh, today, Zach. It was awesome speaking with you. We'll uh, we'll have to uh, keep an eye and see what you work on uh, tomorrow and in the years ahead. <laughs> Thanks. It was nice chatting with you guys. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.